Good morning, everyone. Uh, wasn't last night very encouraging? All of you that were able to come out last night, very, very encouraged by the, the men and their testimony and the music. It was a great night of encouragement, edification, and opportunity to share the gospel with our community. Uh, I think we're going to need to do this more often. What do you think? Do it again. Uh, I do suggest any of y'all that didn't get to uh, be here, you can watch it online, which is good. So it's uh, saved uh, as uh, a live stream. So please go online and see it. Again, we continue this morning our series on adoption and being children of God and God as our Abba Father. And what does that look like? When we're born in America, we are given a birth certificate. It often tells who our parents are. It tells the time of our birth. It tells the date we are born. It gives our full legal name and the full legal names of our parents on that birth certificate. If we are adopted, I don't know if any of y'all know this, and you get a new birth certificate issued to you, but you don't know, if you were to look at the certificate, you wouldn't know, it might have an issue date, but ultimately the birth date's the same and the parents are there, the adopted parents are listed as the birth parents, and the new name of the child is the only name that's on the certificate. There is no evidence on the certificate that these were not your birth parents, and that that wasn't your original name at birth. The birth date is the same. The time is the same. Legally, the old identification is no longer valid. It's not even who you are. The adopted person has a totally new identification, a new ID. This is how it is with our adoption into God's family. Our identity changes completely. We go from being separated from God to united with God through Jesus Christ. We are spiritually adopted children of God. We are brought into God's family, His household. We have Jesus as our Lord. He is the first among, uh, firstborn among many brethren, as we talked about. We belong to God, and all the rights and privileges of being a member of God's family are ours now. We are His children. There are numerous blessings and privileges that become ours when we become children of God. We have examined these over the last three weeks. We saw that we were spiritual orphans in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, but now we are living Children of God. This means we were born sinners in need of a Savior, but now we are born again children of God who depend on Jesus as our Savior. We were unable to know and enjoy God, but now we are growing in our knowledge and enjoyment of God as our Father. I kind of thought of that as I was uh, singing with Luke. He came up to me before the service and said, Daddy, can I sit with you? And can I sing with you? 
And I thought, yeah, that would be just wonderful. You understand, though, son, you're going to have to sit up here all by yourself while I'm preaching. And he says, yeah, Daddy, I just want to, I want to be with you. You know, that's what it's like. We go from being completely separated from God to actually enjoying our Heavenly Father. We want to sing with Him. We want to sing to Him. We want to praise Him. The power of God that works in us changes us. It transforms us. It makes us enjoy Him as opposed to being separated from Him and hating Him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, we saw Paul express the heart of worship that comes from children of God. We are worshiping children because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The Father blessed us by choosing us and choosing to adopt us as His children, that we would be holy and blameless children. Also be called not only children, but holy children or saints. The Father blessed us by redeeming us from the slavery to sin, as we saw in one. The Father has given us all of this through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, right? It's through what Christ did. The Father has revealed Jesus is our Lord. And I, I can't go over it. I don't have enough time. But that whole word administration in verse 10 of chapter 1, I can't spend all the time. But it literally means head of the household. Or the administration of the household. So it's still that concept of family language that's been introduced here in Ephesians chapter 1. We've been brought in to the household of God. And Jesus is the head of the household. The Father has made us His children when we believed in Jesus, right? When we embraced the gospel. The Father sealed us with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit is our down payment of what? Our inheritance, right? We, the inheritance that we're going to enjoy God forever in heaven? Well, we have a down payment of that because God indwells every believer. That's amazing truth, isn't it? We are the indwelled children of God. And we are heirs of Christ. Heirs with Christ. And we belong to God forever. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with in our world. They, they struggle with wanting to belong to something. They want, they want to be, they want to belong and, and be a part of something bigger and better. Well, I think that's a, it's an evidence of the heart that's lost, that it looks for fulfillment in belonging to something. There is only one that we should want to belong to, though. It's our Father. He is a good Father, and I love that I belong to Him. I'm His possession, and I'm good with that. How about you? What a glorious... All these spiritual blessings are in 3 to 14. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, look over there real quickly. I'm not going to be able to go over all these privileges and highlight them all, but you've got to have this. You've got to understand these truths because 4 to 6, chapters 4 to 6 won't make any sense, and you can't do it without it. You've got to know it. So we're united also in, in Ephesians 2. Look at verse 13. It states, But now in Christ you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, 
For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier wall of the dividing wall. The idea here is is that Jews and Gentiles are now united into one body, one household. And he continues in verse 18, look, he says, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Access to God the Father through the Spirit because of Jesus in him, right? There's There's a Trinity verse, by the way. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That language continues here. The idea of uh, being a part or a member of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. All this, folks, I'm telling you, as I went through Ephesians and now I'm going through Romans and Galatians, thinking about this and looking at this, this theme of family of God, household of God, dwelling of God, is a, a theme that runs all the way through the New Testament. It's everywhere. Every time, even in James, the book of James, he uses the word brethren. There's an implication there. That we've been tied together. That we've been tied together some way. It's that family idea of being in the household. It doesn't matter what tribe or tongue or nation or people. Once you're in Christ, you are what? One household. One household. We are together. We're united. To simplify this, Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus are now in one family, God's family, one household. There is unity among all people groups in Jesus. Our identity, now listen closely, has changed. We are no longer Jews and Gentiles in in separate families. We're now, we keep our identity as Jews or Gentiles. They come into one family though. We are Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus, so therefore we're one family. We are now one in Christ, in God's household. We are all the seed of Abraham. You heard it. We are united in this dwelling place. Look at 3.6. Paul was the the apostle to the Gentiles. And in 3.6 he states this, that the Gentiles are what? Fellow heirs. He's repeating that theme over and over and over. What's the fellow heirs mean? We are those that have what? An inheritance. And if we are fellow heirs, we are what? Heirs with everybody. We're all heirs. Everybody that's in Christ is an heir. We're heirs together and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Beloved, Then Paul, as we saw Mark read in 3, 14 to 19, and he he alluded to it even in his prayer that we should pray to understand this love that we have in God. And ultimately, Paul prays that the believers will know the Father who has brought them into his family. If you look at 3, 14 and 15, there's a little verse that's very complicated, and there's a lot of debate on it. Verse 15. The whole name 
thing. I'll read it one more time just so you get it. From whom, who's the, the father is in reference in verse 14. From the father, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Oh, beloved, I think this is alluding to that same concept. And I believe he's talking mainly, he's talking about Christians here, believers. That we get our new name. We derive a new name in the Father. And how do I think that it's talking about Christians and believers? Because verse 16, and he would grant you. The you there is obviously talking to what? Gentile believers. We all get our name, our new name in Christ. Now, does it mean that we get a new name when we become a believer? Literally, no. It's the idea that we take on Christ's name. We're now in Him. We're a part of the family. And God has brought us in. And the Father has done this glorious truth. And so He calls us to think on and pray and, and, and understand this love that God has shown to us. Put simple, Paul prays that the believer will know that they are loved children of God. And again, I cannot stress this enough to you. And I'm going to pound this over the next 12 weeks. And y'all are going to sound, you're going to say at times, you sound like a seeker-sensitive pastor. And I want to tell you something. You're going to hear it, and I'm going to say, no, listen to me. We have let the seeker-sensitive church steal the word and the concept of God's love. But God loves us. And we must know that. We must understand what the love of God is because it is the love of God that motivates us to do all that we do. Do you hear me, believer? If you're not a believer in Jesus and you have not repented of your sins and haven't trusted in Him, you can't say God loves you right now. I admit that. All you do is you stand under and abide under the wrath of God. You are a children of wrath as I was. But God, if you will turn to Him and trust in Him, you will know the love of God. You need to know that, beloved. Why does He say, why does He pray this way? Know the love of God. I hope you know the height and width and breadth and depth of the love of God. Why? Because it changes us. It made made little Luke walk to me up here to... To sing with me. Why? Because he knows his daddy loves him. He just wanted to hang out with daddy. That's what happens to us. When we know how much the father loves us, then what do we do? We pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We say, Abba, daddy, father, I need you. We abide in the Father when we know our Father loves us. And we seek Him. Why do we need to know this love of God? Why do we need to know this love of the Father? The answer is because God's love is the controlling principle in the life of the child of God. God's love is the controlling principle in the life of the believer. It controls us. It makes Jimmy go from saying, I hated, to I love. That's what changed these men. They came to understand the glory of God's love for them. And now they what? Testify to his love. 
and His grace in their life. So what? What difference does our identity as blood-brought children make in our lives here and now? These are spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Does it make a difference today? Does it make a difference in your life tomorrow? And the answer is, it makes a tremendous difference. In fact, because of our new identity, we have an enormous responsibility. We must walk worthy of this calling that God has given us, as Ephesians 4, 1 states. We must live equal to our identity. We must obey as children of God. We must avoid living like the world lives. We must look like children of the Father. We must live like children of light that is revealing God to the world. We must live wisely like our Heavenly Father is wise. We must avoid the evil one by depending on God. In light of our identity, in light of who we are as children of God, the responsibility is enormous. It's huge. At times, it's impossible. As we come to our passage that we're going to focus on today, I want you to think on this. We are given, in the first two verses of chapter 5, two of the most impossible commands in all the Bible. We are given the responsibility, two commands that are absolutely impossible to do. Look at them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Here, we'll just start with the first one. Look at this. Therefore, be imitators of God. (laughs) What? Imitate God? He said in Matthew, Jesus says, You must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. As beloved children. Look at verse 2. And walk in love. How? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. As is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthy talk and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow. He picked up on those themes, didn't he? You see them? They're sprinkled all the way through the passage. Who we are determines how we live. In this section that starts chapter 5, we find arguably, like I said, the hardest commands given in Scripture. Yet in light of our right relationship in Christ, we must and we are implored to obey these commands. By the grace of God that's working in us. He is powerfully working in us. He powerfully saved us, didn't he? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. That same power is at work in the believer now. 
And so he does not give us commands just to what? Fall on our face. He gives us commands and responsibilities to obey with joy. We will see what appears to be impossible is made possible through our new identity as adopted children of God. This passage breaks down into four responsibilities of the child of God. They are these. Remember your identity. Imitate your father. Love like Jesus. And avoid immorality like heirs. So, what's the responsibility of the child of God? Here it is. You ready? Remember your identity. Remember your identity. At this point, you look at it in verse 1 and it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And you say, well, Mike, where is the command to remember anything in there? There is no command to remember anything. It doesn't say, remember you are a child of God, loved by God. Does it say that word remember? No, it doesn't. But guess what? It's there. And it's obvious. And it's implied. And it's also what? It's what we have to do in order for us to keep the command. He starts it with two words, or with therefore. You see that? That's there for a reason. And then he also adds the little phrase, as beloved children. Those two little concepts, therefore, and as beloved children... Those are what we need to remember. So as he gives the command, he tells them what? Therefore. And then he also tells them, as beloved children of God. That is important. And why is it important? Well, therefore is best understood as in light of all that Paul has just said, in light of the previous passage, and I believe it connects back to 4.1. He's connecting it to that. Look over at 4.1. It's that transition into the application section of the book. And he's, in 4.1 he says, Therefore I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy of, in a manner worthy, or walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So what is that? Walk, live in a way that equals your calling. Now, guys, you know what your calling is? That's Ephesians 1 to 3. That's specifically Ephesians 3, 1, 3 to 14. That you're adopted, redeemed, forgiven, indwelt. Heirs. Walk worthy of that. Walk equal to that. And then he turns around and explains that that looks like unity. That it looks like dying to self. It looks like putting others before yourself. And he does that all the way through 4, but then he picks back up on that theme in chapter 5, verse 1, and says, therefore again. And picks up that idea of all that we are in Christ and all that we have had in light of that, therefore, be imitators of God. So after Paul calls for unity because of their identity... Now he continues with, therefore, be imitators of God. Listen to me closely. Our identity determines our activity. Write that down. Listen, you you hear me? Our identity determines 
our activity. Our identity produces the corresponding activity. Our calling guarantees obedient living. If you know you're a beloved child of God, then you act like your father. Simple, not complex. This is the truth. Paul can emphasize the father's love, cannot rather, emphasize the father's love. He's already talked about it four times in, at, at length in chapters 1 through 3. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to do it in 4 through 6 even when he's telling them what to do. He brings it back up. You know, I often do this with my kids. I don't know if you all remember this, kids. I often will tell you when I know I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult it, that doesn't always make a lot of sense. I'll say, now I want you to listen to me. I love you. I am sacrificially committed to you. I love you. I don't say the sacrificially committed, but I do say I love you. I'm committed to you. So what I'm about to tell you is for your good. Your father has your best interest at heart. Now do it. You understand? This is what he's doing. All the way through the Bible, you will see this all the way through the New Testament. God loves you. The Father loves you. Now do it. Now do what I say. It's all the way through Scripture. This is the new covenant idea. The love of God is not based on how good we are to Him, right? He doesn't love us because we're obedient. He loves us so that we will be obedient. That's a big difference. It's not conditioned on how obedient we are to Him. It's also not just some feeling in our soul. It's not fleshly like the world's love. It says, if I want someone immorally, then I love him or her. That's what the world says, right? They look out and they say, ooh, I want that person. That means I what? Love them. When in fact it's, I lust them. I lust for them. That's not what God's about. That's not love. That's not biblical love. Biblical love seeks the betterment of the person we're loving. Biblical love is like the love the Father has for His spiritual children. It is the love that chose to adopt these wicked sinners that we are to be His children before the foundation of the world, knowing full well how sinful we were. It is the love that made us adopted children by sending His own Son to die in our place. How do we become adopted children? It's not as... It's not as easy as what we're doing to get Samuel. <laughs> That's easy. And Brenda and I say, well, it was hard. But it's easy compared to what God had to do to adopt us, right? What he had to do to adopt us, I would never do for my family probably. I can't imagine in my, in my wildest dreams. Can, I, can you imagine? taking one of your children and sending them to be killed in order to bring more into my family. Would I, I would never do that. Send Luke off 
to China to die so that I could then get Samuel into my family. But this is the love of God. Now he raised his son from the dead. And his son is with him in glory forever. But he had to go through the agonizing propitiation, the death, the atoning death, to bring his sons into his family, his children into his Are you loved? You are loved, beloved. And as we are loved by God, we understand this love. We are loved children of God. If you have repented and believed in Jesus, this is your new identity. You are loved. You must remember it. You must preach it to your souls. You must enjoy it. You must abide in it. You must receive it continuously. You say, Mike, you're telling me over and over that God loves me. Yes, I am. And that's what I tell my soul every day. All the time I preach it over and over and over. Why? Because it's the only way you can live in this world. It's the only way you can love others that hate you. You must know the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of God. Or you will not love others. Promise. Even if you had the greatest father in the world, the most loving earthly father in the world, the love of God, the father, is a million times better. It's far better than anything. So look, any of you that haven't had good earthly fathers, i got good news for you. You've got a loving father. And he's so loving. He's so loving that he soothes the soul and helps you to love the father that abandoned you. This new identity changes the way you view the world. Those that hate you, you love them. Why? Because you hated him and he loved you. This foundational love of the Father is what turns the weighty commands of the Bible, be imitators of God, love as Jesus. It turns this truth of who God the Father's love is and all of God's love towards us. It turns those weighty Commands into privileges. It turns them into, yes, Daddy, I want to be just like you. This is what this verse is about. You see it, folks? If we could just apply five, one, and two, our lives would be, wow. There are so many implications for us here. Beloved, I had an opportunity this week to interact with our community on social media. This by no means is an endorsement of it. It can be a huge waste of time if it's not done for the glory of God. But in this case, it was really good for me. I believe it was for the glory of God, too. As some of you know, I posted a comment about Abortion of babies is worse than catching a hammerhead shark and releasing it. Most of you in the room would say, uh, yeah, 
Isn't that obvious? The reason why I posted the comment is, is I looked at the thing and all of a sudden there was a huge amount of comments saying, why did you pull this hammerhead shark up on a beach and then release it? It was suffocating on the beach. Just take a picture. And I'm like, it was okay. They released it less than a minute later. That was posted right away after. But it's still many people were saying, oh, this is horrific. So I posted, 3,000 babies die a day in America. And we're worried about a hammerhead shark being caught and released. There's something wrong with our society. We are wicked. We need Jesus. 3,000 likes later and 500 comments. I've interacted with our community. You know, it's just like that gorilla that had the baby. When they killed the gorilla, all the people went crazy over killing the gorilla to save the baby. Beloved, when I look at this, I wanted, I wanted to just scream. Repent, you wicked people, repent. That's what I wanted to scream. And I typed it many times. <laughs> and I'd get down and I'd start to push sin and it would be like, no, don't say that. That's what they need to hear. They just need to repent. Wretched people. Turn, you wicked ones. But then I'm studying this at the same time and I'm thinking, wait a second. They can't get it. They can't get it. Our society How do we expect them to value life if they don't know the love of the Father? And this applies to every issue we are having in our society today. Bing! Take note. It applies to everyone. No one is going to love like God until they know the love of God. Period. So I began to tell him. One after another, I mean, I was cursed. I was threatened. I was wished that I was dead. Many told me they wished that I had been aborted. They told me, too bad the coat hanger missed you. Had had probably a hundred people wished that I was dead. And I was shocked at the hatred. And then I remembered, I am them. I am them. 
And I began to tell them, one at a time, as many as I could. Wes picked up the slack. A few others did too. Every time they said something like that, I'd say, you know, I understand why you would say that. And if my parents had seen all that I would be as a wretched person, I definitely deserve to die. Because I'm a wicked man. But God, by God saved this man, the wretched sinner that I am. And I've come to know that God loves me because what he did to his son to save me. God loves me. And I want you to know that if you will turn from your sins and turn to him, he is a loving God that will save you. Do you see what the gospel does to, does to us? It transforms the way we think. Our identity changes the way we act. Now I admit in the flesh there were a couple of times I wanted to say some really rough things. But at the end of the day, the love of the Father controlled me most of the time. Glory to God, not me. I'm nothing. Don't know why. He just chose by His grace to help me share the gospel with maybe a hundred people. But I am so thankful, aren't you? This is how we have to look at the world, folks. We have to understand that the world doesn't see things right. They've got a backwards worldview. The only way they're going to change is if they know the love of the Father. So we'll talk about it in the discussion group. I don't have time to go over this, but I want you to understand that doesn't mean people are as bad as they all could be. I even saw that with some of the comments that were affirming me. You know, the likes mean nothing if they don't come from hearts that are converted. I found myself having a struggle because at times they would say, people would stand up for me. And they'd say, oh, you got this right, way to go. Those baby killers are horrible. And what would I think? Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. You're being prideful. Self-righteous. It's not about me. It's not about me. See, even doing good, those that do good in a society are often doing it good from hearts that are what? Wanting affirmation or wanting attention or wanting to be loved or wanting to be liked or wanting to be accepted or wanting to avoid painful consequences. But in fact, they're still dead lost. They need the love of God just as much in many cases, don't they? None of these goods, none of these things will get one person into heaven. None. You understand that? And often, good is only temporary in a society. 
You understand that? It's only temporary. It's cleaning up the outside of the cup. But what is our primary goal, beloved? To imitate the Father. Because of our identity. This is why we as parents don't make it about just obeying us, right? Our primary goal is to share the gospel until our children come to know and understand that God loves them and that they should obey Him. Because that's all that really matters. We as children of God have a different ruling principle in our life though, don't we? It's our new identity as children of God. We belong to Him. We see Paul here rehearses this all the way through 4 through 6. Chapters 4 through 6. You ought to look it up. So we must always start with our new identity as beloved children of God to prepare our hearts for our responsibilities to keep. Notice second, we must imitate our Father. Literally it says, therefore be imitators of God. Be an imitator of God as loved children of God. Be like your Father. One commentator states this, It is a trait of the conduct of children that they have a way have a way of imitating the Father that they love and admire. If you know God's love for you in adopting you into His family, despite your wicked ways, then we should imitate our Father, right? We should do it. If it costs God the Father His Son's life to save us, then we should understand what that love is, and then we should love like that. But I'll take it one step further. I want you to listen closely. This command is not only what we should do. I think it is what we do. Now listen closely what I mean by the difference. If you are a true child of God, imitating your Father, your Heavenly Father, is what you do. It's actually natural. It should be the pattern of your life. Not not perfection, but direction. I'll never forget. (laughs) I might cry at this spot, but just thinking on it. I will never forget the first smile I saw from Andrew. Where are you, buddy? Over there, hiding in the corner. He hates it when I bring him up. It's only a positive thing, brother. I love you. I walked into the room, and he'd be laying there in his crib. You know, he's under six months, maybe six months, eight months. And I'd walk up and just smile at him. I'd smile. He was just so beautiful. I was a father who loved his son. And every time I saw him, it made me smile, especially in the crib. But something happened very early on in our relationship. He might not remember this. I know he doesn't. As I approached the crib, and I would put my head over the top of the crib, he began to smile at me. He would look up, and it was the most beautiful sunshine smile I had ever seen in my life. I think he was beginning 
to imitate his father. He was doing what I was doing. Every time we walked to the crib, his mother and I would smile at him. And he would smile. I admit, when he was a toddler, he also did, he mimicked me in bad ways. I remember his first favorite word was no. Why did he say that word? Because I said that word. No, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. Right? So what's the first word a baby often learns? No. Why? They're mimicking their parents. That's what we do. This has happened many more times in our life, I want you to know. Sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. Children imitate their parents, beloved. It's natural. And born-again children of God do what? They imitate their father. We mimic him. You know why? Because it's our new nature, our new mind, our new heart, our new calling. We're made alive. So we love like he loves. We mimic him. So love children of God, imitate their father. Notice, third, and we love like the firstborn, Jesus. Ephesians 5, 2 states, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And again, all we see here is what? That the imitation of the Father ultimately is shown in loving like the Son loved. If we are part of the sonship of God, we become brothers. I know it's loose. It's a metaphor. Don't make it more than it is. I'm not saying we're deity. But we are in Christ. We act like our what? Our brother, Jesus. Our lives must reflect Christ. We look like the head of the household, don't we? We're just like him. And that's what we do. And what did he do? Here's the punchline of the whole thing, right? He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us. Oh, beloved, do you understand? Look over at John 18, and we'll close with this. We're not going to get to that last point. You'll have to do it on your own. Sorry. I'll just give you the footnotes. You ready? If you're an heir, you'll look like an heir. You won't walk in immorality. If you're walking in immorality, guess what? You're not an heir. Period. If you're an idolater, you're not an heir. But if you're an heir, you'll look like Jesus, not the world. Look at John 18. Remember when Jesus was being arrested? This is it, folks. This is what it's all about. Boy, aren't we all like Simon Peter, aren't we? John 18, 7. It says, Therefore he again asked them, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. So if you seek me, let these go their way. What's that? That's called loving the disciples. Take me, let them go. Right? 
He says, To fulfill the word which he had spoke, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. What did, what did Simon Peter do? I don't think he got his identity yet. What do you think? I think he was struggling with his identity at this point. He was thinking, these are the enemy. Let's kill them. But there was a bigger plan, wasn't there? Here's the bigger plan. Next verse. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? In other words, the cup of salvation, the cup of his death, that he would sacrifice himself, that he would be the one that would lay his life down for the sheep. You don't want me to die for your sin, in a sense? You'd rather go ahead and fight your way out of this? You don't want me to die? But this is what the Father has given me to do. To give myself up for you. Oh, beloved. If we understand this passage, if we understand the glory of what Christ did for us, that he gave himself up for us, then guess what? Imitating our Father and loving like him is not a duty, it is a privilege. We want to do it. Now let me ask you a question. We'll close with this. How many times when we face difficulties in our in our life, somebody treats you wrong or you're mistreated or, or whatever happens. News media gives you something for you to chew on that you don't like. How do you think? What goes through your mind? Is it, where's the sword? I'll cut his ear off. Or, I know... I'll use my tongue and I'll slay every one of them. Or do we think like Jesus? Do we identify with our elder brother, the firstborn, the preeminent one, and our father who loves us and say, not my will, but your will be done. I will lay down my life for those that persecute me. Do you see how your ID fits in everything? Your identification fits in everything you do. When you go to work tomorrow, it's your identification in Christ that will make you work for him. When somebody mistreats you, it's your identification in Christ that will make you love like he loved. You see why I say it's probably the most important thing for sanctification for a Christian? Knowing that you're a loved child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing passage. Thank you for these truths that we are learning. 
Father, we pray that you will help us to apply these truths to our life. Oh, Father, help us to see who we are identifying as when we deal with issues in our world. And when people mistreat us, oh God, help us love you like you loved us. We want to look like you, Father. We want to imitate you, Lord. We thank you for this word. We pray you help us now to go and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray.